All right, well, for today's Sending Sunday, I want to talk about the gospel for all creation. And I just want to give you a warning. The way that I'm going to come at talking about missions today is going to be a little bit different than the the typical angle that you hear. I hope you don't freak out. I hope it's beneficial to you. I hope you know I'm not a heretic, Um, but just know that up front, okay? So I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. You can find that on page 983 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. Three things that I want to bring out about the gospel for all creation. I want to explain it, I want to celebrate it, and I want to apply it. Thanks, Jason. So with that, with that said, if you're able, please stand with us to honor the reading of God's word. This is a way we get our bodies involved in worship. We stand, we're honoring God's word. And if you're not able to stand today, that is okay. Stand in your heart. Again, today's passage is Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And Adrian is going to be reading it in Vietnamese. Um, but it will be on, uh, in English on uh, the screen. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Chúng tôi muốn cảm tạ Đức Chúa Trời, Cha của Đức Chúa Giêsu Christ. Khi chúng tôi cầu nguyện cho bạn, the Lord has spoken to us. Now let's respond together. Thanks. Thanks. Be to God. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Anybody remember these ads from the early 2000s? Bringing it back. All right. So it's Mac and PC, if you don't know. So Mac being the casual guy who personifies Apple computers... And PC being the suit guy who personifies Microsoft Windows computers. All right? Dragon with me. So I'm not trying to start a debate here because we all already know that Apple is the superior product. Okay? The reason why I'm using this is it sets up in a comical way a tremendous contrast that's not just in technology, but in us. If you've studied the brain at all, you know that there are two hemispheres or sides to it, each of which manages certain functions in the body. So the left brain is more analytical and orderly than the right brain. It's better at things like reading, writing, logic, facts. So think black and white. And then the right brain is more creative and disorderly. It helps us with things like imagination, Emotion, art, dreams, transcendence. Think colorful. All right, you see in the difference here through Mac and PC. Now, by God's creative design, both sides of the brain are meant to be integrated and complement one another. We need all these things that I just described working together to be whole people. The reality is, however, that one side tends to develop a stronger network than the other side kind of like you're right-handed or left-handed. Christian psychiatrist Kurt Thompson has taken that dynamic I'm describing this morning a step further. And he talks about how entire groups and even cultures can become dominant in one side or the other. In fact, he says that the past four to five hundred years, our culture has been dominated by a left-brain way of being in the world. So think PC, okay? That is, 
viewing the world primarily as a problem to be solved instead of beauty to be created. Let me give you an example of this so it becomes more tangible. A little girl goes off to school. She's got the lighthearted skip of childhood, right? And she obviously has experienced moments of anxiety in her young life. But that's it, just moments here and there. But because of the way our approach to education is structured, her experience of school begins to be dominated by what? Performance. Her value subconsciously gets wrapped up in things like test scores and report cards, which will come to literally quantify her in the eyes of others, even those closest to her like her parents. Now, are those analytical aspects of education important? Is it important to have tests and exams and report cards? Yes. <laughs> Some of the kids down here are like, no, there's nothing good about that at all. It's all from Satan. No, it's good. Like, I don't know how you do education if you don't have, like, tests and challenges and, and this sort of, of, of analyzation. But when they dominate by the third grade or earlier, depending on what kind of educational system you're in, This little girl's way of being in the world is being formed more by anxiety than curiosity. Her world is primarily a problem to be solved instead of beauty to be created. So what could this possibly have to do with today's sermon and God's global mission? Well, it's this. Without us even realizing it, this is our fishbowl. This is where I gave you a warning. This is going to sound weird to you because it's not how we usually hear things. Without us even realizing it, our culture's perspective on God's mission has become dominated by a left brain way of being in the world. That is, we view God's mission primarily as a problem to be solved instead of beauty to be created. So let me give you an example. One of our most common mottos when it comes to missions that characterizes our approach to it is this. Finish the task. Have you heard that? We need to finish the task. Well, see that in that phrase alone. God's mission is a task to be finished. That is a a problem to be solved. And so what exactly is that task or problem? Well, it's typically linked with certain words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, the Great Commission that many of you are familiar with, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, the Great Commission. But perhaps this is linked more intimately to chapter 24, verse 14. And there, speaking of the end of the age, Jesus concludes like this, and this Gospel of the Kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So here's how the logic of our interpretation goes. Problem? Jesus can't return until every people group has been evangelized. Solution? Go and evangelize every people group so that Jesus can return. Right? It's a simple equation. Go finish the task. Now, is there value to that kind of analytical approach? Yes. 
hear me say that today or you are going to cast me out as a heretic, okay? Yes, analysis, statistics, thinking in a task-oriented way is important and God has used our culture mightily in God's mission through this lens. But when it dominates, our primary way of being on mission in the world isn't marked by the curiosity of joining God in what he's doing, but by the anxiety of doing it for him. You see the difference? And along the way, we fail to grasp that Matthew 24, 14 is actually not a command at all. You see a command in there? No, it's a promise, an invitation, not to perform in order to be quantified, but to participate in the hope of something that is already guaranteed by Jesus himself. It's as good as done. It's just going to take time for it to fully manifest. You see, when our practical starting line for all these things fixates on a problem, that means our biblical starting line has fixated on a problem. Hence, why our tribe of Christianity kind of gives off the vibe that the gospel begins at Genesis chapter 3. Practical example, almost every membership interview I do, one of the questions I ask is, in your own words, what is the gospel? You want to know where most people, by far and away, begin their articulation of the gospel? Genesis 3. Not that God created us. Not that he's a good God. No, no, not that we're in his image. No, 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 no. That there's a problem, and it's sin. That's the beginning of the gospel in our normal articulation. And yes, that is where humanity sinfully rebelled against God. And yes, that is where all creation was put into bondage. And yes, it is the worst problem to be solved. It's devastatingly pivotal but it's not the starting line. So what is the starting line then? Well, that brings us to our first point. The gospel for all creation explained. So young disciples in the room and my international friends, if you haven't already grabbed your guides, they're over here. That word explained is one of the words you're looking for for your guide. So the starting line of the gospel is not sinful humanity, but a good God. And that's why Paul starts his letter to the Colossian church. We always thank God. My international friends, that's another part of the guide that you're looking for. Paul starts his letter with with thanksgiving. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, it's not like we always thank you, the people who solved the problem of sin in your lives. You did it. You initiated it. Good for you. High five. No, we thank God. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So there it is again, the gospel which has come to you. You did not come to it. It started with and was initiated by who? God. In fact, the language here that Paul uses about the gospel actually kind of personifies it, doesn't it? Kind of turns it into almost like a person. It has come to you like a person would come to you. And so how does a message 
come to you like a person? Well, that's where God's mission begins. From eternity past, before creation, there was one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right? You ever wonder what he was doing from eternity past? We're not told very much in the scriptures, but we do get a glimpse a little later in John's gospel. Jesus is praying for his disciples before he goes to the cross. And the curtains, think of like these curtains back here, they're pulled back for just a glimpse. And here's what we read. Father, Jesus says, I desire that they also, he's praying for us, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before any of this even started, you were giving me glory, you are giving me love. I was giving you glory, giving you love. Here we were. God existing from eternity past looked like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit expressing glory and love and perfect union and at the same time communion, okay? It was an interchange that displayed his heart and character and it was perfectly complete. This is crucial, okay? This is crucial to understanding God, not as one who needed to create something he was lacking, but who already had it all within himself. Sending was already happening within the Godhead. That's why you see in this really poor imagery of the Trinity, which is probably heretical on some level because all of them are and can't fully comprehend the mystery that it is. There are arrows pointing in all directions. There's that union, and yet there's communion. There is sending, so to speak, glory and love, before an eternity path. Right? We're broadening our view of God's mission here. And so God, by nature, is a sending God. That's who he was. From eternity past. Then, that's the reality from which mission begins. Where the gospel begins to come to us. And so we know from this perfect union and communion, God will overflow outside himself to create But how then did that initiate? Well, we read at the beginning of the Bible, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So the sending God did something true to his nature. He sent something. What did he send? His word to create all things. But not only his word, he sent something else. After creating the first man and woman in his image, we read this. And God blessed him. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God didn't simply create a man and a woman for a garden paradise. God sent Adam and Eve into Eden with a mission and a message. What was the mission? Join me in filling the earth with my love and glory and rule. Be fruitful and multiply. Y'all, that is a whole person, whole world vision of flourishing that would only be possible through an ever-growing global family. Okay? 
We quantify God's mission so hard. We try to get it down to a task that we can accomplish by 2027, January of whatever, all right? But here's the thing. Think about God gives to Adam and Eve a mission that is utterly impossible within themselves to accomplish. And there's freedom, though. They're able to go and explore and, and figure it out under his good oversight, okay? And so we needed an ever-growing global family to join them in fulfilling this massive cosmic mission. So that's the mission. You know what the message was? It was, it was something like this. God saying, hey, beloved creation, I'm going to help my beloved sons and daughters carry out this great mission that I've given them. You're in good hands. Like he doesn't say that and then look at Adam and Eve and be like, all right, don't mess it up, Okay. No, he, he, he's like, they're going to do it. I'm going to do it through. It's going to be great. All right, here we go. There's no anxiety. There's no micromanagement. It was pure freedom to be curious and explore and discover and to learn fruitfulness, what it even means, what it even looks like. And this is what we call the great mandate. Of course, we're all too familiar with what happens next. We do know that God did give one guiding rule for them to submit themselves to his leadership and that was not to eat fruit from a particular tree unfortunately the woman is deceived by satan the man outright rebels all humanity is plunged into sin and all creation is put in bondage and the story should end but instead god does what is true to his character he sends He sends what? Well, first of all, he sends Adam and Eve out of the garden never to return. Why? Isn't that a cruel thing? No, no. They could continue to eat from the tree of life and live in their sinful state forever. And he doesn't want that. So he sends them out. Cuts off the way. Then he sends throughout the Old Testament his angels, judgment, covenant, chosen people, law, messengers, judges, priests, kings, prophets, The Old Testament is just this chain of sending from God and a gracious heart that would continue to do that. And within it, you see the height of re-entering union and communion with God. What does the great mandate look like fleshed out in this space? It is the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then eventually, amazingly, God sends himself in the person of Jesus Christ. We read this in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under that law that he had sent that crushed all of us because we couldn't live up to it, to redeem those who were under that law, set us free so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why does it say sons and daughters? Well, the reason why is not because God is fixated on a particular gender, but it's because he's talking about firstborn sonship, the rights of everything given. It goes to son, daughter, whoever follows Jesus. Now, here is how Paul sums up the gospel and what he calls of first importance, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised so that we could be saved and adopted. And that means God didn't just love himself before the foundation of the earth. He loved you. 
Listen to this. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. 1 Peter 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 20. The gospel was in the heart of the sending God from the starting line. From eternity past, Jesus was as good as sent. Because you can take it to the bank if God's going to do it. It just took time to fully manifest. So the Father sent the Son. Then the Father and Son sent the Spirit. Galatians continues. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. That means the Father sent the Son, the Father and Son sent the Spirit, then Father, Son, and Spirit sent you. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, behold, I am sending you. Then the Spirit comes. So this this is what this means, okay? This is the theological premise that is underneath so much of what we talk about when we use the word sending or missions, or us being a sending church, or you being a sent one. So listen to it closely. God, by nature, is a sending God. Therefore, you, adopted sons and daughters, by nature, are sent ones. That's why I'm wearing this today, okay? I'm sent. I ain't a missionary right now, but I'm sent. I'm not pretending I'm a missionary. I didn't, it didn't say missionary. That's confusing. That's vocational, all right? It says, I'm sent by nature before I go on my first mission trip, before I take an evangelism class and stumble through sharing the gospel with somebody for the first time. I am by nature participating in God's mission because he's my father and he's ascending God. And I'm his adopted son, so I'm a sent one. And so listen to your commission from the unfortunately least quoted version of it. You may have never heard this before. It comes from the gospel of Mark. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole what? Creation. Now, is this pulling things together for you this morning? And the angle that we're coming at this stuff? Do you see the connection back to the starting line and the great mandate? What a beautiful vision of not just solving a problem, but creating beauty in a whole life, whole world sort of way. Everything in your life being an opportunity to create beauty on mission with God. But that is such a cosmically big mission. How is it even remotely possible? Only through God's ever-growing global family. And so with that, we come to our second point. The gospel for all creation celebrated. Young disciples and my international friends, that's another word that you're looking for this morning. Now, remember how Paul started his words in his letter to the Colossians? We always thank God when we pray for you. Not, man, we feel so much anxiety for you. Or not, we need to quantify you in order to see if you're enough to reach the rest of your people group. All right? Paul in other places will say, I feel so much of a burden for all the churches. Like you read Paul and you just feel him sweating over his letter over those who have not heard the good news. But that's not how you primarily experience Paul if you read him closely. It's gratitude and joy. See him differently as he reflects 
Jesus and his gratitude and joy. Now this is what, this is what we hear. We celebrate the gospel that has come to you. Like sure, there are problems to be solved and people to be reached out to, but the starting line is celebration, okay? When you stand in awe of the gospel, you know what happens? You look at the local church and you see breathtaking beauty that's been created, even though it's unimpressive, even though sometimes it's embarrassing and frustrating. You know, one of the things that I find myself saying to people more and more, and it's flowing out of what I'm saying to myself, is you can love the church for what you think it's supposed to be, or you can love it for what it is. Massive difference that will have a direct import on your behavior and how you relate to the local church over time as it disappoints you and hurts you, okay? I would encourage you to love the church on behalf of what it is, not just what it should be, even though we want to go there, because that's... That's the gospel love. That's how Jesus loves his church. And so, my friends, however, that is just the beginning of gospel joy. Okay? Think about it like this. First birthdays. Okay? Little baby. Never tasted cake before unless you're some of those parents that have been feeding them cake before the first birthday. You're missing out on this moment when they stick their tongue out or their hand and they taste sweetness for the first time. And what happens? Well, most of the time, this light comes into their face. Like, this is amazing. You know, I'm looking at them going, you think that's good? Bro, you ain't tasted cheesecake yet. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Ice cream, pumpkin spice latte. Like, you have a world of sweetness coming your way. Get ready. And this is the difference we're saying here with tasting Gospel joy in the context of the local church versus what is laid out before us. The opportunity to have a greater celebration. Listen to Paul. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. And indeed, as in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. And he'll go on later to say, and has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Well, since we are left brain problem solvers in the room, let me briefly address the big question that comes up here. Is Paul saying that at that moment of his writing, the gospel had been preached to everyone already? You know, it can't be, because Paul knew full well that many still had not heard, and he was driven to proclaim it to them. And so, one scholar explains it this way. Paul means that the gospel had now been unleashed upon the world, irrespective irrespective of geographical or racial barriers. The Gentile believers at Colossae were a sign of the universal scope of God's saving purposes and a promise, a foretaste of the still greater things to come. Y'all, God's mission is as good as done because God has promised it himself. It will just take time to fully manifest. But does that mean that we just kick back and wait things out? That is not what I'm saying. Do not hear that today. It means this. We join the party. That's what it means. It means we join the party. It means your way of being in the world that God is saving can come more from a joyful curiosity than a fitful anxiety. 
Paul says, indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. He's like, you like that little taste of the gospel in your local church? Bro, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now look at the global church and see the breathtaking beauty that's being created over there and over there and over there and over there and over there. Like it's joy multiplied when we stand in awe of the gospel. So let me give you some examples this morning. And I had a plan to cue the music from Cool in the Gang, Celebrate Good Times. But I thought some of y'all would judge me and I got a little insecure. So let it play in your head. Celebrate. And I would encourage you, if you get excited, like I will get excited as I read these things, that you would do the Lottie Herod dance. Do you know what the Lottie Herod dance is? Anybody? All right. It starts, I put one hand up, and then you just shift your, your torso. Okay? Woo-hoo. All right? And then if you put your hand here, you can turn it into a salsa. Okay? So here we go. Look at this, look at this, uh, okay, so this is going to be hard for you to see on these TVs, but uh, what I want you to notice is the large circles that land in North America and Europe in particular, okay? This is Christians, the number of Christians by continent in 1900. 82% of those Christians are in the Northern Hemisphere, 18% in the South. Now, let's switch that map to the next one. Christians by continent in 2020. Notice that. The circles have changed. And now only 33% of those Christians are in the north. And 67% are in the global south in places where the gospel has not been ever or for a really long time. Woo, come on, that is awesome. Maybe scary for us because Christendom is falling apart. But you know what? Here's my joy in the midst of that, that it's moving on to places that it hasn't been or where it's been forgotten. Let me give you another one. This falls near and dear to my heart. Christianity is growing the most rapidly in Africa. Statistically, Africa is now the most Christian continent in the world, 670 million. Did you know that? Our African brothers and sisters who have rhythm and passion and the spirit. Like, they're leading the way in the numbers of Christians in the world. It's amazing. Pumped. I want to learn from them, okay? I want to be among them. I want to join the party, okay? Here's another one. Christianity is spreading out rapidly. By 2050, which, by the way, is going to be here before we know it, most Christians, that is 50.4% based on projections around the world, will live in non-majority Christian nations. It is on the move in ways that it has not historically been. Okay? Let me end with this story. So there is a missions pastor from Kenya who serves on staff at a church in California. Heard this story through a friend from him. He said that he took a lead pastor from a megachurch here in America to visit Kenya. And they went to one of the large churches in Kenya. And after the gathering, the lead pastor was introduced to the lead pastor of the Kenyan church. And uh, he said to him something about, you know, like, hey, what's one thing that, that, you know, you would want one nugget of wisdom that you would give me, one insight that you would give me that I could take back to my church. And the Kenyan said, Kenyan pastor, do you really, do you really want to know? And the lead pastor said, yeah, yeah, I want to know. I got my notebook down. Like, what, what? He said, over here, the global church is having a party. And you're not invited. 
Take that home to your church. What? Here's what he means. He means that we tend to come into God's mission with all our resources and all our expertise. And instead of coming alongside the global church to celebrate, we show up to fix all the problems. And they know it. And they don't want it. Because God's doing something among them. And we're missing out. Because we think we're at the center of God's mission and we're not. Now, are there problems to be fixed? Of course. Some of y'all have been saying it in your head. Wait a minute. I know that that many Christians in Africa don't have good theology. Right? There's all kinds of charismatic, crazy, prosperity gospel stuff going around there. Like it's a mess. Or is there a lack of, of healthy churches? Yes. So many issues. Is there nominalism among these numbers? Absolutely. So many problems. But perhaps the first problem that we should attend to is our own. The gospel imbalance that drives us into God's mission from anxiety and micromanagement when instead God offers us the pure freedom to be curious and explore and discover and learn fruitfulness alongside God's ever-growing global family. That's God's starting line. And Jesus aims to restore us to that line. Listen to this. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, sent you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will delightedly give to you. In the same passage, he says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be So look at us, chosen to both be the fruit and to bear the fruit of the gospel that is increasing in the whole world. What a reason to celebrate and to join the party. But what does that look like? Well, that brings us to our final point. The gospel for all creation applies. All right, young disciples and my international friends, you need that word applied. How can we be fully integrated participants in God's mission? Well, to answer that, we must understand how God's mission concludes. We've seen that the triune God has sent us on what I might describe a triune mission. That is, he gives us the great mandate. What exactly does that look like? Well, it's specified by the great commandment. What exactly does that look like? Well, it's specified by the great commission. They all flow together. If you lose one or the other, you have a really impaired, not whole mission to the world. But where does that triune mission lead? Well, you might expect me to quote from Revelation 7, but I think the vision is bigger than that. As this gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end comes, Jesus will return in power to judge the world and to destroy the evil and to redeem the righteousness and ultimately to make all things new. Okay? It's not just about saving souls, though that is so important. It's about God restoring all 
things. And so we read this at the end of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, check this out. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. All things new. And what what of God's global family? The ones for whom the sending God first sent his word, let there be light. Remember that? Well, John continues like this. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, those redeemed, God's global family. And so the breathtaking beauty that will have been created in the global church will be on display in all its fullness. And there, the eternal glory and love of the triune God will no longer be extended outside himself because the people of God will be hidden in him for all of eternity. All right? Let this missiological truth bend your brain a little bit and expand your vision. The sending will continue as in eternity past, but now with God's people participating in it. Love and glory, union and communion for all of eternity. Sending God and his sent ones. What came to mind as I tried to describe this is how much I enjoy watching Olympic opening ceremonies. Anybody else with me? I get emotional when I watch them. And sometimes I don't know why. And I start to think, wait a minute, someday we're going to taste something like this. We're going to be in the new Jerusalem, and the nations are going to bring their glory in. We'll have our chance to do it too. And they'll come in with their language and their culture fully redeemed as it was meant to be. And we'll be like, yes, not just for America, right, but for every nation that comes through. Well, this is amazing. And it'll be so much more glorious. There will be no competition element there. It'll be amazing. And here is why we need integrated minds that are ripe with holy imagination. Because the current space that we're called into so desperately needs a vision of that God and that gospel for all creation. Listen to these words from Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Do you see the personification of creation there? What's it doing? It's waiting. It's waiting for us to be revealed again as who we were meant to be with the capacity to, to rule over all creation as we were meant to be. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but it bowed because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage one day. The corruption and obtain what? The same freedom that we already have begun to taste. 
the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, when we stand in awe of the gospel, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Y'all, in God's hands, this is as good as done. It will just take time to fully manifest. And so as you long for it, alongside all creation, I want to give you three hopefully pretty practical, tangible things that you can take away from this. First, be aware of your left brain dominant world. When you get into the mode of seeing everything as a problem to be solved instead of beauty to be created, and all the anxiety that comes with that, remind yourself that you're settling for less than gospel freedom. You know, interestingly, research shows that the number one means of helping your mind reintegrate when it spins out into that one side or the other is this, encounters with nature. Okay, that's not like go encounter a bear. All right, that would mess you up. But like encounters with God's creation. Okay, how ironic. Engage with God's creation to get your mind back into a space. And how much more so that Can you receive that as followers of Jesus who understand the purpose and the coming redemption of creation? Second, be delighted in your ever-growing global family. Multiply your gospel joy by thinking beyond the confines of one little ethnic kingdom. In other words, invite yourself to the party. Okay? Come on. Instead of being indifferent, rejoice when you hear of God's movement among Africans and Asians and Latinos, and let's not get too far out there, what God is doing in our midst among those peoples, okay? And then befriend them when they walk into your life. They're there in your neighborhoods. They're there in your workplaces, in your classrooms. They're in this room. Befriend them as a part of sharing in the joy of what God has done and is doing and will do among them. And if you need a tangible example of that, we have these two brand new prayer cards that are out on the domestic sending part of the sending wall. And one is for New Breed Church, a church that was planted out of Antioch that is predominantly African-American. God is doing something among our brothers and sisters that we can rejoice in and participate in, especially through prayer. So grab that so you can be reminded to pray for them. And there's one for Asa Church, a Nepali congregation that was planted out of Antioch that meets at 1.30 in this facility every Sunday. Grab one of these and pray for them. Rejoice at what God's doing. And hey, one of these days, show up at 1.30 and worship with them. Like, they won't be like us, you know, like coffee in one hand, hand, hand in the pocket in the other, man. They're dancing. All, they'll get you involved, okay? So come and rejoice with God's work among the nations. And then finally... Be curious about your fruitfulness as a sent one. I know not everyone is called to be a missionary or called for international missions to be their one consuming passion. People can walk away from Sundays like this and they feel guilty because missions 
isn't what wakes them up in the morning or puts them to bed at night. And it, I, I don't think it has to be for everyone. But if God is a sending God, then you are a sent one in a whole life, whole world sort of way. So explore and discover and learn your unique fruitfulness under the oversight of a father who is absolutely delighted with you and gives you freedom. Remember that fruitfulness, according to the Bible, isn't just quantified by evangelism. Let me say that again. Remember that fruitfulness, according to the Bible, isn't just quantified by evangelism, but is all that which flows from abiding in Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, church, go into all creation and create some beauty for God's glory. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine. And after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant. In the shedding of my blood. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns, which means you're announcing that a new heaven and new earth is, is coming. And you believe that. And you're longing for it. And you're growing toward it. Today we are announcing that Jesus Christ is the king of the gospel for all creation. And you know what? He was the most fully integrated person who ever lived perfectly. And so there is hope for you to follow in his steps. Our invitation this morning, if you're a baptized believer, a follower of Jesus, you've committed your life to him under his lordship, his way goes, not yours. You come to this table, you break off a piece of bread, you dip it in the juice and take it, remembering what Christ has done for you and what he promises to do for you. Now, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus yet, I want you to know something that a famous preacher in the history of our country once said, that creation doesn't long for your revelation, it longs for your destruction. Because you are among those evil ones who have rebelled against God. And for and because of you, the creation is put into subjection to futility. So, don't be consumed by this creation. Instead, turn to God in the person of Jesus Christ in this moment and be saved. And you'll join in with all creation, praising, waiting, all right? There'll be pastors and people to pray with anyone in the back who has any need. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning, and I just want to join in with Paul and thank you, God, our Father, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we get to be the fruit of the mission that you have accomplished in your son Jesus. And we also get to bear the fruit as little sent ones on your behalf. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and stirred by these things from your word. I pray that it would move us according to the direction of your spirit. Yes, I have said that we have freedom before you today, but you have also given us clarity in your word 
as to how to live this out. And so help us to enjoy that freedom that actually comes from being obedient to your word. And Lord, I pray for those who do not know you, who have turned away from you, who have rebelled against you. And I pray that in this moment they would turn to you and be saved and restored through this gospel for all creation. Have your way in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.